0: Have you ever stopped to think, really think, about the fact that here in the United States of America, there's an entire day dedicated to pranking people? It's really reflective of the nature of human beings, who have an inherent desire to laugh, play, and hold power over others, even if just for a split second while the victim's blushed cheeks return to their normal hue. Baseball players, while among the world's elite in terms of hand-eye coordination and reaction time, are no different. In fact, pranks are woven into the fabric of baseball culture just as thoroughly as beer and Cracker Jacks. Look into any dugout at the high school level or beyond, and you'll likely find gum stuck to a clueless player's hat, or an empty cup in someone's back pocket, being filled with sunflower seeds by the pranksters, who shoot at their target like basketball players working out in an empty gym. As the level of baseball increases, so too does the intricacy of the pranks, For example, there is something called a hot foot, a prank in which a bundle of matches is adhered to an unsuspecting player's foot with bubblegum and set on fire so the victim's foot bursts into flames. When executed properly, it's a beautiful thing to see. There are countless examples of incredible pranks being pulled at the professional baseball level. Joe Carter pretended to auction off Derek Bell's car during a game. The Padres AAA affiliate, the El Paso Chihuahuas, spent an entire season convincing Jeff Francoeur that one of his teammates was deaf, only to reveal the Raz late in the season. I could go on and on and on, but no matter which elaborate practical joke you point to, there's always a happy ending. Laughing teammates, a hysterical mastermind, and a smiling victim, embarrassed, no doubt, but smiling still. But not this prank, this one, This one went way too far. My name is Ben Porter and you're listening to the Pastime Podcast, a show about the best baseball stories throughout history. Today's episode is about a prank war between two major leaguers that went wrong. Very wrong. Before I dive into this story, I have to say I'm not sure if it's true or not. The accounts of what happened are almost non-existent, and all the major characters are now dead. There's no way to prove that any of this ever happened, but I choose to believe. You'll have to decide for yourself at the end. This story takes place in the 1960s, specifically between 60 and 66. I can't say definitively which year. I have a guess, and I'll give you my reasoning for that later on, but for now, all you need to know is that this was the 1960s. The first character I'd like to introduce you to is Ken Boyer, longtime third baseman for the St. Louis Cardinals. He was a 5-time Gold Glover, an 11-time All-Star, though from 1959 to 1962, there were two All-Star games per year, all eight of which Boyer made, and he was also named National League MVP in 1964. In short, he was a great player. His success on the field was no surprise to his family, as the Boyers seemed to have baseball competency ingrained in their DNA. Seven Boyer boys played professional baseball at some point in their lives, but the two with the best careers were Ken and his younger brother, Cleet. In fact, when Ken's Cardinals faced Cleet's Yankees in the 1964 World Series, the two made history by becoming the first brother duo to ever homer in the same game of the Fall Classic. I also find it necessary to mention that Ken had six sisters. That's right, he was one of 14 children. Vern Boyer, the paterfamilias, will forever be cemented in reproductive sports lore, right next to Philip Rivers and Antonio Cromartie. The second character in this story is Don Drysdale. Drysdale pitched for the Dodgers for his entire 14-year career. For the first two years, he called Brooklyn home, and then he moved, along with the franchise, to Los Angeles. Drysdale began to rack up the accolades in 1959, when he made the All-Star Game twice and won his first World Series. He would go on to win two more rings with the Dodgers in 1963 and 65. He would also appear in seven more All-Star Games and win the Cy Young Award in 1962. In 1984, 15 years after he played his last game, Don Drysdale was inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame. But as good as Drysdale was, he earned a reputation as more than just a skilled pitcher. He was a tough, no-nonsense guy, a pitcher that was feared by hitters. Hall of Famers such as Frank Robinson and Willie Mays refused to even dig in against him or look him in the eye, afraid to piss off the big man. Sometimes he'd visit his opponents in the batting cage before the game and ask where on their bodies they wanted to be beaned. He owned the mound and anyone who stepped into the box knew they were as good as finished. Perhaps the earliest example of his psychotic behavior happened on June 13th, 1957, Drysdale's sophomore season. According to the Sabre Bio Project, Drysdale got off to a rough start against the Milwaukee Braves, and he was growing frustrated with the way they were rounding the bases. Here are Don Drysdale's words. Johnny Logan was up next. He was strutting around up there and digging in and showing me his teeth and acting like he owned the place. A charge went right through me. I look at this guy and tell myself, okay, buster, you asked for it, and I aim one inside to let him know who's the boss. End quote. When Johnny Logan got to first after the hit-by-pitch, Drysdale picked off, intentionally missing his first baseman low and wide, drilling Logan for a second time. A brawl broke out, and a new line was etched into the unwritten rules of baseball. Do not fuck with Don Drysdale. But his machismo wasn't just limited to between the foul lines. Drysdale had his vices, one of which was, like any other red-blooded straight man, women. In fact, he had a number of women around the country, many of them prostitutes, who he'd see when he was traveling. There's a reason his nickname was Big D, after all. One night, when the Dodgers were playing against the Braves on the road, Drysdale called up his lady of the night. It's unclear if this happened in Milwaukee or Atlanta, as I've heard the story told both ways, but the constant is his opponent. The Braves, who were located in Milwaukee before moving to Atlanta in 1966. Anyway, Drysdale invites this hooker to his room to, well, you know. The girl arrived at his hotel room, and Drysdale was excited. Apparently, of all the women in his life, this one was his favorite. The two were getting down to business when all of a sudden... Uh, what the fuck? Open up. This is the police. Uh, hi, officer. What's going on? Mr. Drysdale, you're under arrest for solicitation of a prostitute and for engaging in sexual relations with an underage girl. We're gonna need you to come with us. Uh, what? At this point, Don Drysdale was confused, angry, scared. All the emotions you could possibly feel when in this situation. He was making a fuss with the officers, yelling, I didn't know she was underage, and... You can't do this. You can't do this. While they dragged him into the hotel lobby and then to the cop car, they cuffed him, opened the door to the cruiser, and burst into laughter. They said, hey, calm down. We're just fucking with you. We're buddies with Ken Boyer. He set this whole thing up as a prank. Jesus Christ, Ken Boyer. What part of do not fuck with Don Drysdale didn't you understand? Don Drysdale was livid, and rightfully so. It's unclear how exactly he was connected to Ken Boyer, but the two had faced off for years in the National League, so they had grown to know each other over time. But no matter how close of friends they were, no matter how many times they shared the same dugout during the All-Star game, I can confidently say they were not close enough to be pulling fake arrest with public humiliation pranks on each other. I don't even think there's a level of friendship, at which point that's acceptable. Clearly shaken, Drysdale looked at the calendar and circled the date, the date when Ken Boyer next played at Dodger Stadium. As I said earlier, it's unclear exactly when this took place, but it had to occur during a season in which the Dodgers played the Braves and later in the season, played versus Ken Boyer's team, which was the Cardinals until 1966. If I were to guess, I'd say this happened in 1965, and I'll tell you why first we can eliminate every year after 1966 as ken boyer never played in los angeles from 67 until his retirement it's also safe to eliminate 1966 which was the year the braves started playing in atlanta there's just no way boyer knew cops and drysdale had a favorite prostitute in a city in which they'd never played before we can't definitively eliminate other years but to my last point The two players needed time to establish a relationship with each other and with their respective contacts in Milwaukee. So 1965, final answer. This happening in 1965 would also give Don Drysdale time to become close friends with the third and most famous character of our story. I think I owe him a proper introduction. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, it is my great pleasure, my distinct honor, to introduce to you the one, the only, Old Blue Eyes, the voice himself, Frank Sinatra. That's right, Frank Sinatra plays a pivotal role in this story. He was as famous as a man could be in the 1960s, and he lived just east of Los Angeles. For a long time in Palm Springs, and then in Rancho Mirage. As a result, he attended many Dodgers games and befriended the players. For example, when Sandy Koufax was named Cy Young and MVP in 1963, Frank Sinatra was front and center at Koufax's ceremony. While hanging around the club, he met and cultivated a relationship with the most feared pitcher in the majors, our man Don Drysdale. After Boyer's prank, Drysdale didn't know what to do. He was so furious and he knew he needed to get back at Boyer, but he simply didn't know how. He went to Sinatra and told him of the faux arrest in Milwaukee and asked for his advice. Old Blue Eyes told him, I've got just the thing. You see, Frank Sinatra was apparently connected. You know, connected. His FBI file, which was made public after his death in 1998, had sections titled Association with Criminals and Hoodlums, in other words, the Mafia. He was spotted multiple times with known Detroit mobsters Anthony and Vito Giacalone, and was friends with Sam Giancana, a notorious Chicago mafioso. In addition, he played a few personal gigs for Angelo Bruno and some others. There's no evidence, at least that I've seen, that points to any incriminating or nefarious activities, but Old Blue Eyes was connected, that much we know. So Sinatra tells Drysdale not to worry. He's got just the thing to get Boyer back for his little hooker raid stunt. He made a few phone calls on Drysdale's behalf, and the plan was in place. One night, after playing a game in Los Angeles, again, the date is unclear. Ken Boyer was showering up after a game. He got dressed and left the locker room with the intention of going back to his hotel for the night. He was approached by two men, mafia goons, who put a bag over his head, tied up his hands, and threw him in the back of the trunk of their car. Boyer was then driven out to the desert, where he was unloaded, unbagged, and confronted by the muscle. They said things like, do you have any idea who you're fucking with? And you mess with the wrong people. The two said they would kill him and leave him out there. At this point, Ken Boyer was in tears, on the verge of soiling himself. He had no idea what was going on, he was fearing for his life. They tortured him mentally like this for about half an hour. When the goons finally felt Boyer had had enough, they couldn't contain their laughter. They were cracking up. Finally, they told him, this whole thing was fake. Sinatra set it up. Drysdale told him to. It was the worst, meanest, most fucked up prank ever. You can say Ken Boyer started it. You can say whatever you want but I don't even know if you can call that a prank. It was just a cruel, horrifying thing to do. A few years later, in 1968, Ken Boyer and Don Drysdale became teammates on the Los Angeles Dodgers. The two enjoyed a season and a half together before both retiring after the 1969 season. Maybe, just maybe, in some sick, twisted way, this incident made them closer? Don Drysdale served as a broadcaster for a number of MLB teams for years after his retirement, before dying from a heart attack in 1993, at the age of 56. When Vin Scully announced his death on air, he said, Never have I been asked to make an announcement that hurts me as much as this one. He was feared on the mound, but always loved and respected. His accomplishments were immortalized in baseball history in 1984, when he was inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame. Ken Boyer passed on the family baseball gene to his son David who was drafted by the Cardinals and played in their farm system from 1974 to 1978. Ken died of cancer in 1982 at the age of 51. He is not enshrined in the Hall of Fame but has appeared on the Veterans Committee ballot three times and the Golden Era Committee ballot twice. Maybe one day he'll join his fellow prankster in Cooperstown. As for Frank Sinatra, I don't need to quantify his legacy, which will live on forever. He was loved by many baseball players, including Hall of Famers like Drysdale, Koufax, and Ted Williams. I'll be willing to bet, though, that Ken Boyer never listened to a Sinatra song after 1965. Just a hunch. Frank Sinatra died in 1998, at the age of 82. These three took this legendary story with them to their graves, but remnants still exist. Bob Euchre told this story to Norm MacDonald and Artie Lang once, which is probably the most publicity the story has ever gotten. Now that you've heard it, it's up to you to make your own decision on whether you think it happened or not. As for me, I choose to believe, and I hope you will, too. That's life, that's, life. that's what all the people say. You're riding high in April, shot down in May. But I, know I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Pastime Podcast. To stay up to date with all the newest releases, you can follow me at Ben13Porter on all platforms. I said that's life. That's life.